Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Night Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full-round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast here with DraftSite.com. I'm DJ Boyer with just one half of tonight's entertainment, the main cog Joining me here tonight, Zach Gutierrez. How you doing there, buddy? Good, good. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> well, we have to be uh, back. Yeah, one brief episode, but uh, that was really before the season kicked off. This is really the first one we've had since the NFL and college has really kind of uh, started. But uh, before we get started, anything that you uh, would like to declare thus far about the college or pro season before we start uh, – we're going to go through the college kind of ranks first. People do a little more on the pro side, but kind of start out on the college side. Uh, what has kind of stood out to you this year thus far, Zach? And as far as a team that could sneak in there, if you were to kind of lay your money down right now, again, not advocating betting, but, uh, you know, we'll do it here and there for recreational purposes. But if Zach were to put 20 down on the table and say, this is the team that I think is going to come from one of those non traditional powerhouse conferences and, and kind of maybe steal the show here and, and get a berth in that college football playoff. Who's your, uh, who's your smart money on right now, Zach? I don't think it's going to be anybody that's not from the power conference. That uh, it, It's going to be it'll be really, really, really tough with the playoffs moving forward unless you get a team uh, maybe out of the, the Mountain West. But other than that, I mean, there's not going to be a team out of the power conference. But I just don't think it's – I mean, obviously it's not going to be Alabama – I don't think it's going to be Florida State. I don't think they got enough offensively. Uh, I, I'm interested to see who, who makes that in the Big 12, but if I, just, if I just throw money down on like a, a team that a lot of people wouldn't have expected to be in where they are at the end of the year, I'd say, I'd say Utah, because if you look at Utah's schedule, they're going to have to play Oregon next week uh, shorthanded. And I, I'd say until they have to play Arizona and UCLA, I mean, they got – uh, they got USC too, but they—that this is a team that's you know beat Michigan, a Michigan team that at the end of the year is going to be like a nine-win team. Their strength of schedule is going to be solid enough. Where if if they're undefeated, they'll definitely make it in. I think that's a team that once they get going, uh, I like their backup quarterback, you know, because uh, the starter got hurt, and that, you know they have one of the best running backs in the country. Yeah, Travis Wilson has went down, and not always the the greatest quarterback from a stat standpoint, but six foot seven, and there's a lot of Pro scouts are kind of intrigued with his size. But Devontae Booker, you did mention it. He was one of the early season kind of Heisman Trophy candidates that we were plugging here. Team, It was his first year at Utah last year. It was a JUCO transfer. Smartly kind of stayed out of the NFL draft. I think he would have been taken probably by, by about the third or fourth round. The whole thinking here was the possibility of him being the top back selected in this draft. And I think outside of Ezekiel Elliott, who uh, would be draft eligible, Couple of the other big backs you've got uh, like uh, Nick Chubb and uh, Leonard Fournette uh, out of LSU. Both of those are, are actually sophomores that won't be draft eligible. So the possibility for Booker being a first or second round pick is uh, is definitely a real one, and, and that's a that's a pretty good team. that I think you're mentioning there. I think a, a, another yeah. team that 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 kind of jumps out at me could be Baylor, even though you know they narrowly missed last year, but. So much was made of the, of the fact that the Big 12 did not have that conference championship game, something they won't have again this year. Baylor, I think, 
probably won that conference because they only had one loss. TCU had one loss, but they did win the head-to-head matchup. They were the team that gave uh, TCU their loss, although many people thought the TCU was the better team, myself included. But I think this year, um, you know, it's not really, again, a, a great year. I'd, I'd say those two teams are uh, by far and away the best teams in that conference. And I think you put a player in like Seth Russell and – there's not a really big drop-off between what he's able to do and, and a player like Bryce Petty, who I think both of us like, uh, is with the Jets and hopefully has a, an NFL future down the, coming, coming in, a, in a couple of years at, at some point. Uh, so to me, I think Baylor possibly could assert themselves as uh, getting by TCU and being the, the top dog, per se, in that Big 12 and, and maybe sneaking in. Uh, that's that kind of be the team that, I would say even though they're a top ten talent, I just don't think that they're one of the four teams that would pop into your head right away when thinking about you know who's going to make the college football playoff. Yeah, a lot a lot of people had, and it's funny because they they played SMU and SMU played them relatively close, and they ended up still blowing them out. And then TCU plays SMU, doesn't win by as many points. Nobody's really talking about it as if because when Baylor opened up, maybe it's probably because SMU is a lot better than people thought they'd be. Chad Kelly coaching, and if you remember this, I'm not sure if you remember this, but Matt Davis, who's their quarterback, was an A&M recruit. The year they got Manziel too, so he had to transfer. But he is—he's a very talented player. As you said, in the right direction. But uh, yeah, Baylor. I mean, it's tough to say with Baylor because when SMU is the toughest team we've seen them play so far. So like, and they—they they really didn't step up to the plate defensively. He knew with Seth Russell because out of all the quarterbacks Bryles had, he's probably been the highest recruited. You know, you know, you knew it wasn't going to be a drop off. Uh, another team that I think could like uh, sneak in there, and I was thinking about it the other day. A team in my lifetime that's never for national championship, and this could be the year is Georgia. And you, you, people are always thinking about them at the beginning of the year, but this is a team outside of Chubb on offense. Not a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people I know in Georgia weren't happy with Grayson Lambert being the starter, but I mean, if they can get past Alabama, uh, I mean, I really don't see anybody on, on the schedule. And they get Alabama at home, so that they're, they're going to be an underdog, though. I mean, Auburn looked daunting at one point, but I don't, I don't really think Auburn's that daunting. If they... I think Georgia's better than LSU, so I'm I'm excited to see uh, if this is the year that they finally, if Mark Rick finally breaks through and at least gets them into the playoffs. But that's a team that not a lot of people were talking about. It hasn't been talked about yet, but uh, if they get by Bama, that's a team that I could easily see being in the uh, in the top four. That's a good point, especially this weekend where you know Grayson Lambert, who again uh, kind of came on very very late in the in the process, but he is a player that. Um, we had projected as the starter, but again, it was very, very late in the process. And a lot of people just thought this was going to be Nick Chubb kind of running the show and, and Grayson Lambert being more of a game manager. But I, 24, 24 for 25 against South Carolina. Last two games have been uh, pretty good. So he keeps that up. It really turns Georgia into a team that's not really one-dimensional. And you know, it probably opens up a, a little more avenues for them because on defense they've got about all the talent that one could ask for. So I think Georgia's a, another very good pick in, in the SEC there. And again, Mark Rickey always kind of takes them right to the cusp. And unfortunately, I would say Georgia and Clemson are those two teams that kind of tease us year in and year out. With it looks like it's the year that they're going to go over the edge and something happens or they just lose that one game that leaves you scratching your head. But uh, the one yeah. point that I uh, one other point I wanted to make uh, as far as the 14 playoff before we, we move on. Right now, if you look at the polls, uh, we've got a one and three in our fierce 40. We've got Ohio State at one, Michigan State at three. Now, Michigan State is two in the Associated Press, so 
teams, they love to play each other head-to-head, but say maybe the loser of that game, they only have the one loss. Do you think it's viable at this time that, that maybe you can justify putting two Big Ten teams into the, into the Final Four? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it's a better chance for, I mean, obviously for Ohio State because they're repeating. I think they're going to get the benefit of the doubt if they, if they lose a close game. It's at Ohio State. So also, from the Michigan State perspective, if Oregon wins out, uh, which I don't think will happen, but if Oregon wins out and, uh, and Michigan State's only loss, even though it would be late, I believe it's November 21st, uh, even though it would be late if it's a close loss in Columbus, uh, I think you got to, uh, I think you got to uh, give them not. It all, it all depends. Obviously, if it's an undefeated Georgia team, they're not going to get the nod over an undefeated Georgia team. If it's an undefeated TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma, I don't think they'll get the nod over one of them. And Notre Dame goes undefeated. I mean, if you have four undefeated teams, but if there's one loss teams, when your only loss is to Ohio State and Columbus, uh, I can definitely see Michigan State slipping through in it. And right now, if they were to play next week, I mean, I, even in Ohio State, I think the line would be like you know three points at most. I mean, Michigan State looks really, really good. You also got to take into account that uh, Michigan State, they do finish in the top five last year. They have that nice come-from-behind victory against Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. But people say, oh, that was a two-loss team last year. Well, who were those two losses to? They were against Ohio State and Oregon. They lost two games, but those are the two teams that were actually playing for the, the national championship. So I think Michigan State really kind of has to hold their head high there. And if there's ever a case for someone saying we're number three, that's, that's definitely the way to do it. When, and and, and I mean, year before, they, they won the Big Ten. Too. So, I mean, yeah. it's not like this is like a new team. The Michigan State is, uh, you know, they're legitimate. Uh, one thing that I think would be, who, who do you think has been the biggest disappointment this season? Well, I, I think you mentioned Auburn, which uh, to, to me really kind of shocked me because I, I thought Auburn really had everything except for if Jeremy Johnson was going to be able to come in and play a viable quarterback position, taking over for Nick Marshall who's, you know, playing cornerback, you know, at the, at the next level now. Because they, they have just about everything else. They have a very good offensive line, a couple of good, uh, very good uh, receivers, especially Duke Williams. There's, there's some talent there, especially on the defensive side of the football as well. Uh, but it's, it's just been disappointing. It's not just been the quarterback position overall. So uh, I think I'm, I'm really, really let down by Auburn. Uh, and, and maybe the SEC in general, because Arkansas was a team that I really Yeah, liked. I was about to say Arkansas. At least Auburn beat Louisville, you know. Arkansas has done nothing. Yeah, and, and two losses. And talk about a, another team that really has just all the offensive firepower that you could ask for. Now, they did lose a lot on defense. There were three, uh, I'd say the three leaders on defense were all lost to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. Now, again, Arkansas wasn't really defensive as a defensive juggernaut, but it did perform rather well. They did have uh, back-to-back shutouts last year. I believe it was Mississippi State and LSU. So uh, not a slouch team. And, you know, uh, uh, Brett Bielema is really kind of, uh, you don't want to say run his mouth, but that, that's exactly what he's done. He's been rather boisterous about his team. And, unfortunately, I don't know what size uh, shoe that he wears, but right now I think it's sticking in his mouth solidly right now after that one and two start. Yeah, and then also having Bama lose, but at least it was Ole Miss. Ole Miss is exactly what I thought Auburn was going to be this year. Uh, turns out, I mean, I mean, I was just like everybody else. I thought Auburn was going to be good. So yeah, you're right. They probably have to be the most disappointing team. But uh, I don't put Arkansas far behind because Arkansas has beat nobody. I mean, technically they're still in. They haven't lost an SEC game yet because they haven't played an SEC game yet. But uh, I mean, to lose to to Toledo and then to to Texas Tech is kind of 
borderline unacceptable. Agreed. Uh, one more thing to really touch upon on the college side, maybe before we, we head into the NFL. Something we always do is not only just doing the Fierce 40 every week, but of course we always throw in the, the Heisman watch there. So if you were to kind of throw your top five at me right now, uh, as far as Heisman candidates, don't have to be in any order. I don't want to put you on the spot right away, but just people that are, are kind of asserting themselves in your eyes as early Heisman favorites. It's it's a shame that I mean it's not a shame because I'm not really but but Cody Kessler played good in a loss and if they would have won that game close I, you'd have to put Cody Kessler out there I think Derek Henry is out of it I say right now you got to go Nick Chubb uh, Ezekiel Elliott uh, Trevon Boykin uh, Dalvin Cook and I'm going to go with a guy that I like a lot and you uh, we have him in the second round on uh, on draft site which I think is is too low uh, Jared Goff I uh, think you have a thing. lot of yeah, a lot of the people that I have uh, up top there looking in my top ten, I'm everyone but my number one. I'd say right now you're looking for that signature game, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, what he was able to do again. Auburn, again, not not nearly as, as stout as we thought, but again, anytime you're able to put 227 yards and three touchdowns on an Auburn uh, big SEC defense like that, he, he just really looks like a man running amongst children. It, it's kind of silly to see the size that he possesses and the speed. Um, and usually this is a quarterback kind of driven award, but I've, the top three right now on the list, uh, uh, Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, and Nick Chubb is um, one, two, three right now. I've got running backs. Uh, and, and right now uh, I've got Boykin at number four, and right now I've got Goff number five uh, just ahead of Cody Kessler. I've, oh. got, I've got him in the top ten, even though you know he did have that loss. It's It's been no no fault of his. I, I think he's performed rather well. Uh, a couple other people I think of note. Um, I think uh, from a defensive standpoint, there's probably two people that I'd put in the top ten on the defensive side of the ball. Vernon Hargraves, who I think is going to be the top corner in this draft, and he really is a game changer. They're able to see what Florida can do. And I think Florida can be relatively dangerous in the SEC despite having a very anemic offense when you, when you pose to other teams. But that's a good defensive team, and he is a guy that really effectively shuts down one half of the field. So, as well as Miles Garrett, the true sophomore, very good defensive end for Texas A&M. We saw him with three and a half sacks this past week. He's currently leading the NCAA in sacks and set an SEC record uh, for sacks last year as a freshman, breaking uh, the record of some guy named Jadavion Clowney, who went number one in the draft. So, uh, Garrett, I think, is another guy in a couple years that we're going to be talking about as a, a potential top ten pick. And I think those are the two defensive presences that I, that I would put there possibly in the top ten as well. But I think, other than Fournette, I think you touched upon probably two through six on my list. So, uh, well done. I, I think we're, we're Yeah, no, uh, I can't believe I, I left close. Fournette off. Uh, I think, I think uh, don't, don't sleep on uh, Dalvin Cook. Uh, but the thing is, with the running backs, it's really tough because, I mean, if a running back was ever going to win it, it would have been last year. Uh, I think, uh, I mean... I guess it was just such a bad Big Ten championship showing for Melvin Gordon, but, I mean, no running back this year is going to run 2,600 yards. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, Cook is, maybe this is the year they do it, but they they finally yeah, give Cook it. Is, yeah, Ingram, man, it was the last one. Yeah, and Cook is actually uh, number 10 currently on my list. You see someone you got to keep an eye out for. But in the ACC, I said before the season, Mike Darkhorse, although he slipped out of the top 10 on my list, Deshaun Watson, I really like the – uh, again, Clemson is a team much like Georgia we've talked about that just kind of 
just leaves you hanging right there, and you're waiting for them to take the next that next step. And really like what I saw to Deshaun Watson uh, in his half year as a starter last year. He hasn't put up the really big numbers, but I'm really impressed with his, I'd say just his overall pocket presence. He's a guy that is a dual threat, but is just very calm for someone as young as he is. He really just possesses a very, very good demeanor in the pocket there. And you know, maybe this is a year that, that Clemson's able to do it. Now, unfortunately, they've, they've lost their best receiver in the process. I think that makes things a little bit harder. If anyone saw the Mike Williams injury where he ran into the goalpost, actually has a, a broken neck. There's a there's a vertebrae they'll actually have to do some surgery on, but shouldn't uh, affect his overall uh, long-term career, but it's going to keep him out for this year. So uh, I think, unfortunately, that's going to hurt uh, Watson a little bit in his campaign and the fact that he doesn't nearly have a, a running back stable that, that some of these other top quarterbacks we talked about uh, really have behind him. So it could hurt him in the long run, but again, he's only a sophomore. I'll throw in one more uh, – one more dark horse. Uh, uh, even though I'm not even sure if he's going to start the rest of the year, Kyle Allen, I mean, if A&M can make some noise. Uh, I mean, he hasn't put up the gaudy numbers, but he's he's played very, very well, and every week he seems a little bit more polished, a little bit uh, better command of the offense, and if he can, uh, I mean, if he can keep the position and they can do some damage, uh, that's a guy that you got to throw on there. Because you know by the end of the year he'll be throwing up crazy numbers. Absolutely. So a good start there on the college football season, and but we're going to jump right to the NFL. So to me, the the biggest thing as far as the NFL is just a couple of teams that I think maybe with some lofty expectations, you look at a team like the Seattle Seahawks uh, winning the Super Bowl two years ago, getting there. That 0-2 start, we hear it so much. Teams that go 0-2, it's very uh, – it's usually not very likely that they'll even make the playoffs. I believe the, the year of the Emmett holdout and the, the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl, that's one of the few exceptions. But we don't see that very often. So even though Seattle's played, you know, they haven't played horribly, but uh, the defense has been a little bit uh, disappointing. Uh, you know, Philadelphia has been extremely disappointing. Another team that you know, there were some mixed reviews on, but just the fact that the offense has not performed at any type of level that anyone – uh, thought that they were capable of, uh, you know, they're starting 0-2 as well. Uh, so to me, it's it's just some of the teams are just a little bit slow out of the gate. Uh, t- as far as uh, you, Zach, what, what's kind of the big story for you? It'll be uh, officially two weeks in after we see the Monday night game tonight between the Colts and the Jets. Uh, I, I'm not worried about the Seahawks yet. It's way too early to be worried about the Seahawks. People kind of get, get riled up of, you know, one or two games. Like after after week one, everyone's like, Jameis Winston's a bust. <laughs> Marcus Mariota is the next uh, great quarterback, so let's wait a little bit longer than that two weeks to write off a team as good as Seattle. Um, I'm actually, I'd be a slightly encouraged if I was an Eagles fan because their defense looks so good. Uh, I'd be worried if I'm a Giants fan because it's two games that they should have won, and, and they and they lost both of them. The Bengals, like every year, are are good at the start of the year, so that's that's not really a storyline. But I'd say a team that's two and out. And because they're two and zero, you can't talk about them. But I, I just have a feeling they're in trouble this year. The Broncos, defensively, they can they can hang with anybody. But I just I think this is it for Manning, and they're not, they just can't run the ball. I mean, how many people drafted C.J. Anderson in their fantasy leagues thinking he was going to be uh, you know the Belka? I mean, they they're they're averaging sixty five rushing yards a game. So I mean, that's not going to be able to last very long. I I, I think uh, people are forgetting because they won, too, how, how bad they've looked, especially on offense the last two games. 
and what a gift win. You want to, boy, if you're a Kansas City fan, that one just had to be absolutely painful to watch. That was a game that should not have been that close to begin with, only being up seven points and then two late touchdowns. That, to me, was one of the more shocking results I've seen in memory, probably the most shocking ending I've seen in the two weeks thus far. I was just flabbergasted at uh, that, that, that they just gave that game away because I, I really thought that Kansas City would not only win the West, but I thought they could do it rather comfortably by about three games at least. To me, they were a team that looked like 13-3, 12-4, kind of written all over it. I really had Denver in kind of that 9-7, 10-6 kind of uh, territory, so that was just a just a complete shock to me. Um, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the thing about Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, I think we were both on record saying that we thought Jameis Winston was going to be the better pro. And again, Marcus Mariota is someone I think is going to be very serviceable, very good. And I think he's a team that can get you to the playoffs. But uh, with, with Jameis Winston, I think he's, he's a guy that I could see possibly winning a championship or, or just taking that team to the next level, even though there's been some questionable things that have happened off the field for him. So it was good to see him rebound with a, with a good week two performance. Mariota didn't really play bad. I just think that – and the other thing is I really think that, that Tampa, uh, in being in a division that was so weak last year, there's, there's more of a chance for him to succeed right out of the gate. Uh, and that, that's a team that – don't be surprised. I still say that if Tampa does not make the playoffs or is at least fighting for a position, that's still a very weak division. Uh, I, I think right now you'd have to say maybe the Falcons, uh, the fact that they've – Looking pretty good on offense. I think Julio Jones has kind of established himself as the best wide receiver in the NFL. I think he's surpassed Calvin Johnson for, for that kind of little thing on the map. I think Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown might have something to say about that. Oh, yeah. He, uh, I would think it was 191 yards yesterday, so which was very good for me. Yeah, 195, baby. Yeah, since uh, the, Mr. Actually, those are my two quarterbacks, actually, in my uh, in my uh, league as uh, Ben Roethlisberger and and. Matt Ryan, so Can I, I think that you have to you have to be encouraged with the Falcons, the fact that they're getting pressure on the quarterback and someone that I was very high on saying that next to Leonard Williams, I thought Vic Beasley was, was the number two player in that draft and doesn't have the big numbers, but he's definitely getting to the quarterback. He's definitely causing a disruption and, and you can see his presence uh, kind of being felt there. Um, I think that again it's not a it's not a top ten defense, but that's a defense going in the right direction. So you got to be uh, happy for Atlanta and Tevin Coleman and uh, Devonta Freeman. Yeah, Tevin Coleman, good. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, it's a pretty good kind of two headed monster they got going there right now. Some good uh, kind of blend of speed and size. I think that's an interesting division because even though they've they've really underperformed recently, I mean, anytime you have four good quarterbacks in the division, I think Winston kind of. Rounds it out, and like we were talking about earlier, I think Winston's going to be better because if you watch Mariota, Mariota played very like didn't play terribly last week. He, I mean, he didn't have any interceptions. If you look at the stats, he's still looking very good. But he reminds me a lot of RG three, not in the way he plays, but in the sense that when he gets hit, he gets hit, he gets crushed. I mean, this he, he's already taken crazy hits since only week two, and he's he's a thin guy, and I'm not sure if uh, if if he has the type of body that can hold up in the NFL. And Winston to me. He's looking more and more like Roethlisberger every week. I mean, and luck, like the big guys that are that are mobile enough. We're not really considered mobile quarterbacks. They can they can take shots, and that's where the, the longevity is. You, I mean, you got to be a really really big guy. Uh, that's why also he Carr, he they're, he's too slight for me. These guys that are too slight and have that I don't think have that longevity. So uh, I think for Mariota, 
overall he makes very good decisions, but I think the fact that he's getting hit and he doesn't have the overall talent around him that, that Jameis Winston does, it's just that slight hesitation. It's This is just a where they say seconds matter here. It, it, it can be hundreds of a second uh, at the NFL level, and I think just just that little bit of uncertainty or just maybe that hit and it's kind of, kind of ringing in the back of your mind, uh, I think that's you know what is really going to inhibit the, the growth of Marcus Mariota out of the gate. But again, you have to be you have to be pleased with what you've seen out of him. Uh, I just think we're in agreement that, that Jameis Winston's going to have the, the better overall career. But I think right now they're they're both they're both playing well, and it, it doesn't matter which team that you're a fan of. Right there, it's better than what you saw last year. So both teams are, are going to kind of be in the hunt there. As far as, and I like the, the fact what you said about uh, Ben Roethlisberger or some other quarterbacks that are a little bit larger because, to me, I've always said to me, Ben Roethlisberger is one of the more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, and people kind of always question that because they think to be mobile, you've got to run you know, 20 yards, just take off from a, a rush and run 20 to 25 yards downfield. Where, where Ben Roethlisberger just has that, he just seems to have that sixth sense about him where he knows where pressure is coming from. It could be just shuffling his feet or, stepping up in the pocket or just making that, that person miss or the fact that he can have people kind of hanging on his back and he can still deliver a throw down the field because he's so big and strong, that, to me that's, that's more mobility than just getting out of the pocket and having your quarterback run for 15 or 20 yards but maybe taking a big hit. So I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot. And you know, it's good to see him get off to a, a pretty good start. And I, I think that that was a definite game that, that I saw as – I would say kind of a a big, big uh, win for the Steelers for brewing there with, with San Francisco getting that win in week one and the Steelers having to play the Patriots. I, I think all the signs were on the wall uh, there that that was going to be a pretty big game. And, uh, you know, definitely Pittsburgh delivered. And and as far as that game, just, just one other side note, the, the decision about going for two as many times, I was waiting for a team to kind of do that. So what were your thoughts on the Steelers kind of going for those two-point conversions all the time, and do you think we're going to see some other teams follow suit and maybe making, I wouldn't say kickers obsolete, but maybe making it something that teams have to think about now because maybe you've got a team where if it's over 50% or, or you think that you're, you're going to get two all the time, I think it justifies the risk. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously it worked well for the Steelers, and the funny thing is the Steelers also missed an extra point too on top of the fact that they converted on two two-point conversions. But the first one, they it was a conscious decision. They ended up doing it. The second one, they uh, drew a, you know an offsides penalty. So uh, they, they just decided to go for it. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think it's something that you're going to, when you start crunching the numbers and getting into the analytics of it, that, uh, I mean, even if you're going, even if you're getting a 50% uh, success rate, if you have a good quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, if you have good quarterbacks that are extremely precise and make very quick decisions. I mean, you're going to get a lot of teams that I think start doing it more, and it kind of throws a monkey wrench into the game plan of the other team if they're not expecting it. So I think especially with the advent of the rule being this year, it's going to be uh, – there's going to be some teams that, you know, progressive coaches that kind of use it to their advantage and, and practice it when other people are just settling and continue to kick extra points. Now, how about the Dallas Cowboys, Zach? I mean, is there a team out there that could be – less thrilled about being 2-0 and right now. Just the fact that week one, boom, Des Bryant goes down, a guy that is probably right there with the, with the Calvin Johnsons and the Julio Jones that we mentioned as being the top receiver in the NFL, and Antonio Brown, of course. And then, boom, week two, you lose Tony Romo. I mean, being 2-0... and Randy Gregory, too. Randy Gregory. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're uh, 
again, a lot like Vic Beasley. He's a guy that made his presence known. I think that I like the fact that I think Beasley's probably the better player, but I think Gregory has a chance to make a bigger impact. I think that they're they don't need they don't need him on every down like uh, Atlanta really needs Beasley. So I think he won't play as many snaps, but I think it keeps him fresh. I think they're able to pick and choose the spots and play to his strengths. And I think we we saw Gregory was making an impact uh, before he went uh, uh, he got hurt and ultimately has the, the ankle injury now, but. Just injuries decimating the Cowboys. I mean, you're two and zero, but I can't I can't remember a time where a team was probably less excited and jubilant about being two and zero than the Cowboys at this time. Um, the, I guess the silver lining in the whole situation is that they're two and zero against division foes. Uh, the fact that both the teams they've beaten their own two, they got a little bit of a head start. Uh, Brandon Wheaton has had to play before, but be uh, yeah, I mean, you got to be upset that. If there's a team that can survive without a quarterback, I think it's the Cowboys because defensively they've really stepped up to the plate. They look excellent. And running back, they got depth. You know, if uh, Christine Michael ends up being all right, you, you combine Dunbar and uh, McFadden and Randall behind that offensive line. So, I mean, they have a shot. If they can run the ball like the Cowboys are accustomed to running the ball and they can play defense like they've done the first two weeks, uh, I mean, this is that's a very winnable division. But uh, I think it's going to really come down to, uh, I think after two weeks, I, it's clear who the best two teams in the NFC are. I think it's going to come down to the uh, the Cardinals and the Packers. I think this is the year that the Cardinals, if Curse Palmer can stay healthy, overtake the Seahawks. Not saying that I don't think the Seahawks will be all right, but the Seahawks will be a wild card team. And when they're not at home, uh, they're much more beatable in the playoffs. So, I mean, I think it's really going to come down to, I know it's it's early in the year, and I, in the AFC it's different because the Bengals are always good, and everyone always wants to jump on the Bengals band bandwagon early in the year, but uh, I mean, uh, I, I think uh, they're clear, clearly the two best teams, and uh, I, I really want the Cardinals to start giving David Johnson the ball a little bit more. I think they will next week, especially if uh, if, if Ellington's out for a little more extended period of time than they thought, but I mean, the Cardinals look like the best team in the NFL. And uh, David Johnson, one of those small schoolers out of northern Iowa, there's no real better way to get a game kickstarted than with a 107-yard kickoff return. So that was that was big for Arizona and, and putting up all the points they did against Chicago. And that is kind of a a defensive team that's kind of rolled out the red carpet for some of their opponents in the last few years. But you know, they were they were pretty competitive uh, against Green Bay in Week One. So what was a big win. And again, it, just keeping Carson Palmer healthy. They've and, and it's not that. Arizona just screams uh, stars at every position, but aside from that quarterback position, Arizona's got amazing depth at just about every other position you can Everywhere, look at. everywhere. They really yeah, do. Man. And like, there's no one you can key in on. Yeah, and, and that's a, a very good young secondary. That's, uh, you know, Dion, uh, Dion Buchanan, who's, who's kind of being a hybrid right now, kind of going between the, the linebacker position as well as playing in the secondary. That's something that was necessitated because of the Daryl Washington suspension, but we've seen him kind of evolve from being a, just a primarily a strong safety to being that hybrid and playing some linebacker. He's played very well. You know, Patrick Peterson and you know, Tyrone Matthew and a couple of the other players they've got there. Goliath Campbell, I think, is one of the more underrated defensive linemen in the NFL. You've got to be excited, but it's just the overall depth. There's just so much depth there in Arizona that... <laughs> 
just watching them uh, uh, defensively, they, they've been good the last few years. But with Palmer and, they, and the way they spread the ball out with Fitzgerald, Jerron Brown, John Brown, Michael Floyd, I mean, there's just so many options. And if if uh, David Johnson can, if they can give him the ball a little bit more, I mean, he also had another he had another 15 yard rushing touchdown where he he didn't get touched. If he can pick up the you know the pass block and whatever he needs to pick up to get in there, I mean, he's a guy that looks like. He can make them a very, very complete team. And when Ellington comes back, they'll be a very, very difficult team to beat. And they're another team like Seattle that's very hard to beat at home. You know, a big guy who, when he, when he started at Northern Iowa, was kind of that H-back, uh, kind of between a tight end and a wide receiver, and really didn't play uh, running back until his junior year full-time. So that it's a guy, you know, we saw him, I believe it was two major uh, programs there that, that I believe it was against Iowa itself, and there was another team that is escaping me right now, but where David Johnson actually had two, 200 yards receiving against them. So uh, it's very, very big when you've you've got a a running back that is that adept at catching footballs out of the out of the backfield and really being kind of a two way threat. So he's a player that we were we were all very high on, uh, and I think he's kind of justified his third round uh, standing in the, in the last draft. As far as in the AFC, uh, I think I agree with the NFC teams. And I think right now for the AFC, to, to me it's kind of a three-headed monster. I'm going to put the Chiefs there, even though they lost that game and just kind of gave it away. I think they are the class of the AFC West. I think it comes down to the Chiefs and the teams that we saw playing the opener. I think it's it's the Chiefs, the Patriots, and the Steelers. And I think it's really going to be a war of attrition. One of those teams kind of falls by the wayside, and the other two uh, are right there playing for the AFC Championship game. I even though the, the Patriots beat the Steelers, I think all three of them are, are very, very close to one another. And it's going to be interesting to see who kind of asserts themselves as the favorite. But those, to me, are the, are the three teams in the AFC to really watch out for. And another thing, got to give props, Marcus Peters. Boy, is he uh, turning oh, up. He is a monster. I was, wow. I was trying to find a way to segue into him, but he has looked fantastic. Hey, uh, you want to find the, your early selection for defensive rookie of the year right there. You got it. Marcus Peters is is not only looking like a rookie, but possibly the best corner on that roster and someone that they can throw against an, a team's number one receiver, which is just ridiculous. We're talking about this. Yeah, I mean, he's got two games of NFL experience. I know. But also in the AFC, I know that I said at the beginning of uh, of, of the, the NFL segment that I, I, they've looked bad, but, I mean, the Broncos' defense is – Legit. I mean, they got Demarcus Ware is playing like he was a few years ago, and they might have the best set of corners in the league. And then you throw Von Miller into the mix, and Bradley Roby kind of coming, kind of growing up. Uh, that's a team defensively and with Peyton Manning that you, you can't sleep on. And it's funny that we're sleeping on them and they're two and zero. But like that's another team, not because of Peyton Manning. So I think this is the year that Peyton Manning has a, a real drop off. We're already seeing, it. and I think he he might take a hit this year, and we might end up seeing Osweiler before it's all said and done. But defensively, I mean, they are they're good. Yes, very good. And um, I think the only other thing I really wanted to bring up as far as the NFL was uh, penalties are up a little bit. There's been – it's just been a little inconsistent. I don't have a problem sometimes when flags are thrown or the number of flags are thrown when you kind of see some, some things that are justified. But maybe now more than any at any other time, it just seems to be the inconsistency. Uh, trying to find a holding penalty, what, what's holding in one game is completely different from another. I'm – I'm kind of seeing games seem to be called correctly when, you know, you're looking at one game in particular. The, I think the, the refs have been pretty consistent as far as 
you know, what's, what's holding in this game is always going to be holding or, or, the, or the calls are kind of even on both sides. But what one ref interprets in one game is completely separate or seems to be different than, than quote, what a player can get away with in, a, in another game. That, that's just something that's been standing out to me when you're looking at all these different games going on. It, sometimes it's not how the player is playing or what they – it just seems to be – now I, I, I think you've got to just look at who the officiating crew is and kind of scout the officials and see what you can kind of get away with. It's – I don't know. It, it, it's more alarming to me than ever, and I think it's just going to be – only a couple of weeks, maybe even by this week, where we're, we're going to have one of these big calls at the end of the game, and I think we're going to start to hear the, the chance of the NFL needs full-time officials, and we're, we're going to hear this argument all over again. Um, what's, what's the feeling on that as far as the officiating, or, or do you see it kind of impacting I mean, a lot of the it, games? It's, it's like saying the, in a baseball that they're, they're in, it's part of the game. So you know, like they're going to start scouting the officials and the teams, uh, teams well, you know, to figure out the way that they the way that they call a game, but it's no different in baseball. When when you have an umpire with a, with a certain strike zone, you kind of get used to it. But also, you got to keep in mind all the rule changes that have been happening recently. So, like they're going to be, especially when they're when they're in the refs here for the the time of the year, the off season when they do have them. I've, I've, it's also the beginning of the year for the refs. There's a reason why a lot of these teams, like the Giants with their clock management, seem to always be in a bad position, and and the Broncos can't block it for the officials at the beginning of the year too. So. You know, give them, I'd say give them to week five, six, seven to kind of get into a group. But anytime you're changing rules that much, but it's always going to be, uh, you know, subjective. It's part of the game, the refs. But, I mean, the fact that they're not full-time, I mean, these guys should be making a lot of money. This should be a very competitive job where a lot of people are trying to do it. So the NFL can be very selective, and they got to be held accountable the same way anybody else is held accountable, you know, by some sort of rating, which I'm sure they are to some extent already. Amen to that. Well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up. But before we do, I think the, the good way to wrap this up will be as far as thoughts on tonight's game. I, I think going into week two, a lot of people would have expected the Jets to be the team that was 0-1 and the, and the Colts to be 1-0. and uh, The Colts, I thought they had made just, you know, had just enough on defense to maybe get by. I really looked at this as being the year that Andrew Luck really kind of asserted himself as one of those upper echelon quarterbacks, which he already is, but, you know, one that can take a team on its back to a championship. And uh, to me, that's, I guess you could say, a fourth team that, that I would have thought would have been competing in the ESC, but I'm still just very concerned as far as what we're seeing on defense. What do you look at as far as uh, how you think the game's going to turn out tonight, and what do you think the keys to victory are going to be for either the, the Jets or Colts and who you like in this one? Uh, I mean, if the Colts can stop Chris Ivory, they're going to have a chance, but I mean, it just seems like everybody can run all over the Colts. They're soft. Uh, the Colts won't be able to run. They no people don't run on the Jets, but they're they're just not capable of running to begin with. But I think tonight, uh, at home, it's their first game at home, prime time. They'll end up rising the occasion. They play well on the turf. I think somebody tonight, like Philip Dorsett's going to have a you know a breakout game. And uh, I'm not sure if they'll cover the spread, but I think they'll win. Yeah, I think this could be a, a tougher game that a lot of people would think. Oh, you know, the Colts lay that egg in week one. They want to come out and really just kind of lay the wood to the Jets. And But, again, as you pointed out, it's hard to run on the Jets. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've got a player like uh, Darrell Revis uh, that, you know, had kind of a, a resurgence last year. It's not quite the, the Revis Island that we saw in, in some of his early years. But, you know, it's he's, he's capable of kind of shutting down one end of the field as well. So I think it could be a little bit harder and – 
I think it's exactly kind of the, the way you put it. I think maybe they pull away late, and, and I'm looking for a breakout game as well, but I'm, I'm looking more toward Dante Moncrief. I think he's a guy that really, really liked. I think he's going to slowly kind of push Andre Johnson out of the, more out of that starting role, and they'll kind of flip-flop between being the, the number two and number three guy. Philip Dorsett, a you know, guy with all the speed in the world and someone that they can get in. And I, I think we're going to actually see uh, Dorsett lining up in the backfield a little bit more, maybe even taking a few handoffs. That's something it seems like the Colts have, have been rumored to be doing a little more of in practice and just trying to get the ball in his hands more. But to me, I think uh, Moncrief is the guy that could could kind of emerge as, as well and, you know, a very good good receiver at Ole Miss, has a, has a lot of good size. And, you know, you've got a quarterback like Andrew Luck. He's going to make everyone around him better. But I think it's going to be a, a, a close game, and I think the fourth quarter maybe a couple, couple touchdowns for the Colts, and they probably win this one by, I would say, 10 to 14 points. I'm, I'm going to go 31 to 20 Indianapolis in this one. I'll go uh, 24 or 17 Indianapolis. But I'm interested to see because, I mean, the Jets don't have a high octane offense. If they can, last week, I mean, the Bills jumped on them early and they kind of abandoned the run. I, I want to see Frank Gore get, you know, more than 10 carries this week see if they can run the ball because, I mean, if you can't run the ball and, and you're soft on defense, it's not like they're the Cardinals where they got, like, a really great passing game and they can get away without running it because defensively they're, you know, you know a top-five defense. This is not a top-five defense, so we will see. We will see tonight. But I think I think this is the Philip Dorsett coming out party tonight. All right, well, you heard it there first. Well, we're going to uh, sign off for this week. Any any parting thoughts or anything you want to get out or something you're looking forward to yeah. uh, for the next week? I'd love to get out. I'd love to get out. Can you finally admit that Hackenberg's garbage? He's such garbage. It's crazy. Yeah, at some point, it's it's more than just the offensive line. It's more than just, I think, you know, he and the coordinators were definitely not on the same page last year. You know, getting sacked ten times in the first game. But, again, you you look back at that game, you know, I'd say at least three or four of those sacks were the fact that Hackenberger just held on to the ball too long. So you're talking about a guy with all the physical attributes there are, but at some point it, it, it's got to be between the ears. I think that's where it's at. Thank and, you. Thank you. Because you've been, you've been on the on the Hackenberger. I'm like, you know what it is about him is he looks good when he's playing. You know, like his footwork looks good. His release looks good. He's big. <laughs> he's not good. Even this week. Are you ready for his stats this week? He was 10 of 19 for 141, no touchdowns in a pick. Granted, they got granted they got they got a win against Rutgers, but like he's he's just not good. He's not good. Please, yeah, they're next next they're track, able, let's golf, golf, baby. They're able to uh, get over 300 yards on the ground running the football. but kind of uh, some old time Penn State football, but at some point it, it, it's really just the decision making. But I mean, when I watch him on film and in high school, everything about him screams Matthew Stafford 2.0. He's and, and kind of a late bloomer himself. He was he does, he kind of a guy that, Stafford, yeah. not, not, a, not a guy that, you know, Stafford was not a guy that screamed, hey, he's going to be the top overall pick. And I was kind of big on the bandwagon. He put it all together kind of that last year. And, you know, I, I thought that Hackenberg can still do it. Uh, Hackenberg can definitely still do it. And you know, I'm still kind of a Gunner Keel guy, but, but, again, he's a guy that's got to get a little bigger as well. Uh, you know, showed very well. You know, the four touchdowns against Ohio State, but that was one of the two games where he actually got knocked out by injury. You know, did it in half. He was actually looking very, very good. But you know, yeah, no, we've had this discussion and it, before about uh, Gunnar Kiel. 
Yeah, about two, but about at about two hundred and ten pounds, and that and that might be generous. He's a he's a guy that's really got to bulk up, and it, and we saw it of two games where he missed significant time, and there was a third game last year where he missed a couple of series. So um, he's he's really got to make sure he's able to get bigger and stronger. And they already got a loss against Temple, but you know he performed pretty well. But uh, I think both years now that he's played Temple's actually uh, is, is where he's kind of hung his his worst game. I think against Temple this year was four touchdowns, two picks, and about 460 yards, but or three picks, actually. But, you know, they, they, they seem to play him well. And, uh, you know, Temple, Temple, another good team. And, and Tyler Matikiewicz, uh, a player, uh, a linebacker we were very high on. So, but yeah, Gunner, I'm, I'm a Gunner Keel guy. But uh, you, can't, you can't argue with Jared Goff right now. Uh, you know, 3-0, Cal's right there. And, Really in the Pac-12, there's a lot of good teams, but is there really a great team in the Pac-12? There really isn't. So if there's a, a team like a Cal, a team like a Utah, I think in, that's See, Utah, a lot of people think is a second-tier team, they, and they can, they can win the whole Pac-12. Uh, like, a, like a, I've been saying for a while, golf to me, I mean, he's like, he's like a, he, he looks like a taller Joe Montana. I mean, he is... He's very, very good, but uh, we're also going to find Barkley, the, the Penn State running back, looked really, really good. And uh, I'm happy because you want to talk about a team that we talked about in the beginning that we're disappointed with, Texas. They finally got their quarterback. So now I've been wondering why they've not been starting uh, Gerard Hurd the entire season. Uh, I know it's only been three or four games, but, he, I mean, he's a guy that he's going to – Texas is going to finally start moving in the right direction because they finally made the decision to, to bench swoops, which uh, – uh, hopefully they stick with because they kind of went back and forth. But the new Texas quarterback, I mean, he is—he's—he's he's going to be a very, very, very good college quarterback. And for everyone out there, that big noise you just heard was a big whoop from everyone in the state of Texas that I think sides with you 110 percent. And uh, yeah. I think there's there's already been a lot of questions, a little bit unfortunate about Charlie Strong and, and the coaching there. I think Texas really kind of has to turn that around. I think quarterback is, is where it starts, and I think. <laughs> Charlie Strong may have to do this for self-preservation because uh, there's already been a lot of whispers, even though he's only in his second year. Uh, Texas, that's you, you don't want to be uh, spinning the spinning the tires in the mud too long per se. They're they're going to get a little antsy there, and they're not used to uh, mediocrity there. And, and we saw even with a a player like Mac, a coach like Mac Brown, who had brought them a national championship, how how loud the the cries were for about two to three years there about removing him. So they don't take mediocrity well in Texas. So. This probably could not come at a better time uh, with their for their head coach. Yeah, well, this uh, is encouraging. This is encouraging to finally to finally yeah. have a quarterback because I'm telling you, the last two years, Swoops has looked just lethargic. Couldn't agree more. And again, everyone in Texas, I, I believe, agrees with you. Well, hopefully, to get uh, Jared back in the uh, in the realm of this and, and into the flow next week as well. But make sure you uh, drop us some comments out there on DraftSite.com and uh, anything that you want uh, answered. I didn't get to go into the mailbag tonight, but I've, I've uh, been answering a few, uh, some, some emails here and there. So maybe for next week we'll, we'll gather up some questions and try and answer some fan mail as well. But thank you very much, Zach, as always. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Than the other fight Learn to love the dark And kiss the light 
Sure.